Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. I'm so fired up. I'm excited because we are diving in to a series that we started last week called Build This House. We're taking just a short break from the book of Ephesians, even though Ephesians is intertwined all through these messages. And we're taking just a few short weeks, two weeks, this is the second of part two, to look at the four pillars of our church, to understand who we are as a church and where we're headed, to understand who we are as a church and where we're headed. And the inspiration for the title for this little mini-series came from Matthew 16, when Jesus asked a question to his disciples. He asked them, and if you've been around church for a little while, you might be familiar with this conversation, but he asked them, he said, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Before that, he had said, hey, who do others say that I am? Now he's directing the question to them. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the promised one, the savior, the Messiah, the son of the living God. That's who you are. And Jesus responds to Peter, blessed are you, Simon. And I tell you, he says, you are Peter. And on this rock, the knowledge, the rock of Jesus Christ, who he is, I will build my church. I will build my house, my dwelling place on the earth called the local church. It's God's plan A for the world right there. You and me, Lord help us. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Really, Jesus? Yes, really. Broken, imperfect people like you and me learning to live in the love of Jesus and to share that with those around us. Welcome to church, friends. Jesus goes, I'm gonna build my church. And then within one breath, within one short sentence, he adds, comma, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Did you catch what he's implying there? He's implying that the gates of hell will try to prevail against it. He's saying, look, I'm gonna do something amazing in the the earth through my local church, through men and women who are on mission with me, reaching the lost, reaching those, bringing hope, speaking life into the world in their families, in their marriages, in their workplaces, in their schools, wherever I've placed them. And the moment they begin to walk in my way, the moment they begin to follow my path, yes, be ready, it's coming. The very gates of hell, the very reality of hell itself is coming against you because it does not want the church to succeed. The enemy does not want the church to become all it's called to be. The enemy doesn't want you to become who you're called to be. So how do we be a part of what Jesus is doing? How do we build a church that stands through the storms of life? How do we, what do we build upon? How do we build our own lives in such a way that no matter what comes against us, because there is an enemy, there is an enemy of our own souls that wants to take out and destroy our lives. How do we build our lives in such a way and therefore build the church in such a way that we stand on the day of testing and trial, that we stand in the midst of the storms? 
That's what we're going to look at today, and that's why we're diving into the four pillars, the foundations of not just who we are as a community, but who we want to be as a people, as individuals who are a part of this community. A friend of mine sent me a story this week about Billy Graham. It says this, when Billy Graham was 92 years old, he was struggling with Parkinson's disease. And in January, one month before his 93rd birthday, the leaders in Charlotte, not just church leaders, but city leaders, businessmen, businesswomen, all the leaders from across the city said, hey, Billy, we want to we hold a gathering in honor of you. If you didn't know, Billy Graham was from North Carolina, spent much of his life in Charlotte. Billy initially hesitated to accept the invitation due to his struggle with Parkinson's disease. But the leaders said, don't, don't expect a fancy atmosphere. Don't worry about it. Just come as you are. We just want to honor you. So he agreed to come. At the event, after wonderful things were said about him, Dr. Graham stepped on the stage. He looked up at the audience and he said, today I'm reminded of a story about Albert Einstein. This is classic Billy Graham. The great physicist who this month was honored by Time Magazine as the man of the century. Albert Einstein, the man of the century. Einstein was traveling from Princeton on a train when the conductor came down the aisle punching tickets of each passenger. When he arrived at Einstein's seat, the great physicist, uh, Einstein checked his vest pocket. He could not find his ticket. He checked his pant pockets, he could not find his ticket. He checked his briefcase, he checked in the seat next to him, still he couldn't find it. But friends, let's be honest, with a face like this, everyone knows Einstein. Everyone knew who he was. He was the man of the century, but he couldn't find his ticket. So the conductor then said, Dr. Einstein, it's okay. I know who you are. We all know who you are. It's no problem. You don't need a ticket. I'm sure you bought one. Einstein nodded his head, said thank you. The ticket collector continued down the aisle, and just before he went to the next car, he turned around. The next uh, passenger car on the train, he turned around. He saw Einstein on his knees looking under the seat for his ticket. He was looking under the seat next to him. He, he was very urgent about this ticket. So the ticket collector rushed back and said, Dr. Einstein, Dr. Einstein, please, you don't need a ticket. I know who you are. And Einstein looked at the young man in the eyes. He said, young man, I also know who I am. What I do not know is where I am going. <laughs> what I do not know is where I'm supposed to get off this train. I need my ticket to understand where I'm going. I love that story. Friends, knowing who we are is great. Knowing that we are redeemed and saved by grace and made alive through faith in Jesus Christ and knowing who we are as a church is so important. It's vital. But we also have to connect the knowledge of who we are with the knowledge of where we're headed. And so the four pillars of our church, the mission statement of our church is simply this. Hills Church exists. The reason that we're here is to help people encounter Jesus. We're a Jesus church. If you're new here and you're wondering, what, what kind of church is this? Or, you know, what denomination are you? What are you all about? Well, we're about helping people encounter Jesus through the gospel. 
That's what we're about. We want people to experience growth. We exist for people to encounter Jesus, experience growth, find community, and to serve others. Friends, those are the pillars of our church. That's not just who we are. That's what we're about. That's where we're heading. This is where we're going and what we're gonna be doing in the days ahead. And when you think about these four things, what every church has to wrestle with is attention. And Andy Stanley, one of, one of the you know, brilliant thinkers, an amazing pastor of our generation, he wrote a book called Deep and Wide. He said, within every church, there's a tension. There are people that are really focused on how do we reach wide? How do we reach more people? How do we build bridges into our community and help people hear the gospel? And then there are others in the church who say, man, we, we've got to focus more on discipleship. We got, to, we got to focus on going deeper in the word and more on spiritual formation and these sort of things. And friends, guess what? Both are right. Both are true. The church is called to reach wide. Jesus Christ desires that all men would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, of who he is. But Jesus also said, go and make disciples. Not just converts, disciples. Those who learn my ways and follow my ways. So reach wide, go deep, so that all would grow. And that's what Ephesians is all about growing into the image of Christ, growing into spiritual maturity. So every church has to figure out, how do we do this? What does it look like for us to be a church that reaches wide, helps people go deep, put their roots down deep in the faith, and to grow into the fullness of who they're called to be in Jesus? Well, here's our best shot. Here's our attempt, and they're connected to the four pillars of our church. We wanna help people encounter Jesus. If you want to reach wide, you've gotta build bridges, you've gotta have outreach events that people are interested in coming to. I love what Paul said. He said, I became all things to all people that by all means, any means possible, I may save some. To the Jewish people, I became like a Jewish person. To the Romans, I became like a Roman, he said. I tried to speak the language that they could hear and understand. So what Paul is saying is he contextualized himself to the audience that he was trying to reach. He contextualized himself. You know, you ever been in a conversation where it feels completely out of context? Moments where you're looking at the person and they're trying to get something across to you and you're like, I have no idea what's happening right now. This is just so out of context for this scenario or this moment. Paul's like, when you share the gospel with people, you gotta speak on their language. When you reach outward to people, do it in a way that they're interested to hear about. Reach wide. So Sunday services are designed in that way. We want anybody who comes in here on a Sunday morning to feel welcome, to hear a presentation of what we believe about Jesus and the hope that can be found in Christ. And we wanna have Many opportunities where we as a church reach wide, such as, hey, the men's event on Thursday night. We're gonna hang out at Out of Bounds Brewery and listen to Jeremy Affelt tell his story. It's an amazing cultural bridge for people to come and be exposed to some of the truth of Christianity. We also want people to experience growth. Jumping into a next steps, going to a welcome tent, um, taking a step of baptism, friends, 
if you've put your faith in Jesus, if you've been walking with Christ or perhaps you were baptized as an infant when you didn't know or you weren't making a profession of your own faith, today would be an awesome opportunity to join us and get baptized at Lake Natoma. Understanding that, man, Nothing changes if nothing changes. If we don't take a step, if we just show up on Sundays and we simply consume, but we don't take a step towards growth, then nothing will change in our own lives. Something we're launching this year that I'm really excited about is Rooted. We talked about it last week. We had 60 people sign up last week with our group signups, which I'm so encouraged by. But friends, whether you've been walking with Jesus For 20 minutes or 20 years, I want to encourage you, jump into a rooted group. If you want to understand what it is that you believe, if you want to get into, man, what it looks like to actually walk with Jesus, to get into a rhythm of life where you say, look, Christianity is not just this thing that happens occasionally for me on a Sunday, but it's a way of life where Christ is inviting me into something more spiritual life, begin becoming who you're meant to be, begin walking in the freedom, the joy, and all the things that God has designed and intended for your life. Friends, jump into a rooted group. We still have 40 spots remaining, and that would be the greatest investment that you could make in your life this year. I really believe it. Truly believe it. We want people to experience growth. Here's how Paul says it in Ephesians, and I think it's so timely, so powerful. He says, do not be like children. Yes, Jesus did say, be like children. (laughs) So Paul and Jesus are not at odds here. We gotta figure out what's going on. Jesus says, be like children. Have the faith of a child. Let the children come to me. There are certain aspects of childhood, of a child's mentality on the world that Jesus says, that is a beautiful thing. And I don't care how old you are, you need to be more like that especially when it comes to trusting a heavenly father, having faith in a heavenly father. But when it comes to spiritual maturity, actual emotional maturity, understanding why you believe what you believe as a Christian, too many of us are way too content to remain like children. And I think about it, Paul uses this analogy. He goes, children are tossed around by the waves and carried away by every new idea. You heard any new ideas recently? You see any new ideas getting pushed on our culture over the past 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years? New ideas, clever speeches, or deceitful schemes. Rather, seek the truth. Another translation says, speak the truth in love. And he says, grow up. Wives, look at your husbands. Tell them to grow up. Into Christ, grow up into Christ. I think about my own kids when we go to the ocean, right? Fathers, you know you've had this experience. I've used this analogy before, but the waves for them, because they're younger, the waves are not fun unless I'm with them. The waves are tossing them hard, okay, at this point, especially West Coast waves. This is not the uh, Gulf of Mexico anymore. We are in California now, right? The California waves are no joke, but if they're hanging on to their father, They may be tossed a little bit, but they're still secure. And so the call is for you to experience growth. The next step that you should take is to jump into Rooted. And here's, we've made it as easy as possible. 9 a.m. Sunday mornings, Rooted is meeting. 
So if you can be at church, if you can make it to church at 9 a.m., you can jump into a rooted group and you can begin to experience growth. Friends, I do know this. Humans were not designed to be stagnant in life. You were designed to be moving forward, to be growing. And in this life, if we are not moving towards Jesus, if we're not moving toward who he's called us to be in our work, in our marriage, as parents, in every area of our life, if we're not growing into who he's called us to be, then we are sliding away from it. There is no neutral ground. There's no neutral ground. We're either moving toward or falling away. You were created to grow. Life is never stagnant. Number three, we hit on this a little bit. It's connected to experiencing growth, but our third pillar is finding community. Jumping into a group, men's, women's, married group. We have marriage retreats. We have so many different opportunities, whether you're a young adult, whether you're single, whether you're married, to jump into a group. Paul, again, we go back to Ephesians. He's talking so much about the church. He says, the church is like a body. The body of Christ is what he calls the church. And he says it like this. He says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, that's the church, joined and held together by every joint, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Friends, I know we live in an individualized Western culture I know we live in a culture that says you can develop your own spirituality apart from the church, on your own, in a coffee shop, by yourself, just all the vibes. I know we live in a culture that says you don't need the church, but that is not the Christianity of the Bible. He says the church is actually supposed to function as a body. And there is no part of your body that is gonna survive very long when it gets detached from the body. It's supposed to be held together and functioning together if it's separated from the head, from the mind, who is Christ, by which all the body functions. And the only way to be connected to Christ is to be connected to the body. There is no, I mean, this, this Western American culture that we live in, which is so individualistic, your faith is yours, mine is mine, your beliefs are yours, mine are mine, don't, don't tread on me with what you think all this should be, and I don't have to have church to follow Jesus, and look, yes, you are saved by grace through faith. We're not trying to add to salvation here, but what we are saying is, you're not gonna grow. You're gonna be like a child tossed by every storm and every wind and every wave until you actually jump into the body. It's only when you're joined to the body that you, what, grow, so that it builds itself up in love. Friends, we walked with, my wife and I, over the past five years, we have walked with so many people in our church. Through situations, every situation imaginable. Tragedies, celebrations, Wonderful moments, horrible moments, celebrations, moments of deep sorrow. And here's what I've noticed over the past five years. 
Every single person that we've walked with through the lowest moments of their life, the quality of their life, the strength of their life, whether their life was completely taken out or whether it stood was almost entirely dependent on who was around them. Did they have community? Was there family, friends, were there people speaking faith and truth into their life in the midst of the storm? Friends, so much of whether we last through the storms and the trials of this life is dependent on whether or not we are connected to the body. But the one I wanna close with today, the one we're gonna look at for a few minutes, the fourth pillar, not just of this church, but of your life. If your life is gonna make it through the storms and the trials that you're gonna face, you've got to have an encounter with Jesus. The gospel has to be the center of who you are. You've got to be moving towards him. You've gotta be experiencing growth or you're gonna be tossed around by every wave and every wind that comes your way. You have to dive into community. And friends, community is hard. It's inconvenient. Life is busy. There's gonna be people you don't like in your small group, praise God. <laughs> Just part of life. And that's where you learn to love. That's where you learn patience. That's where you grow. That's how it's designed by God to work in the context of the body of Christ. But also, if you want your life to matter, to count, if you want your legacy to matter and to count, you have to serve others. You have to serve others. I know this to be true. A strong foundation for every life and every church is built by intentionally living for the good of others. A strong foundation for every life and every church is built by intentionally living for the good of others, not just yourself. It's living for the good of others with your time, with your talent, with your finances, with all these areas of your life, it's saying, Lord, what happened in the Garden of Eden when we turned away from you as we turned in on ourselves, we became selfish, self-obsessed, self-focused. Life turned in on itself as an unstable life, friends. When you turn to Christ, here's what, here's what happens. Here's what begins to happen. I wanna read for us from Matthew 20. It's this remarkable, powerful story. Before we get into these verses, I'll give a little precursor. Jesus is walking towards Jerusalem with his disciples, says this in verse 17, Matthew 20, verse 17. As Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside and on the way he said to them, he pulled them aside. He said to them, look, see, we're going up to Jerusalem right now. There's the city, you can see it. The son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death. I'm about to be condemned to death, guys. That's what he's saying to his disciples. And they're gonna deliver me over to the Gentiles, that's the Romans, to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. Unbelievably specific. This is the third time Jesus has predicted his own death. He says, I'm about to be arrested, mocked, flogged, crucified. And he says, the Son of Man will be raised on the third day. I'm gonna rise from the dead. 
unbelievable, right? He's talking about his own death before it happens. He's talking about the final events of his life before they even happen. Now, one verse later, and this should give you hope because what happens next is absolutely ridiculous. Should give you hope because we're all a little crazy, but this is really crazy, okay? Uh, Verse 20, so Jesus has just announced to all these people, including his disciples, I'm going to die, It's going to be rough, mocked, flogged, crucified, not fun, okay? Then, I love this, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, James and John, came up to Jesus with her sons and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. She said, he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, "Um, will you please say that these two sons of mine can sit at your right hand and one on your left in your kingdom? Isn't that just like a mom? Come on, moms, admit it. It's like you, right? This guy is like talking about the ultimate sacrifice for the whole world that he's about to make. He's about to ascend into power. And she's like, oh, Jesus, you know, before you do all that, can you do me a little favor? Just make sure you appoint my sons at like the highest seats of power so they got some, you know, some clout in the kingdom come. I just wanna make sure, you know, they're like bosses up there with you. Because I know my, I raised good boys. I raised, they're, these are, they have so much potential, Jesus. I just want to make sure like they're running things with you up there. Jesus responds, I love it. <laughs> he says, verse 22, you don't know what you're asking, okay? Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? James and John said, of course, yeah. We've had wine with you on many occasions, Jesus. We love the cup that you drink. We are able, Right? He said to them, and I just imagine, like, they have no idea what's going on. They don't know what they're asking. They have no clue what's happening. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant. It's for those whom it has been prepared by my father. Then verse 24, when the other 10 heard it, when they saw what was happening, how, you know, James and John are vying for the right and left seats in the kingdom, that they're vying for the position over all their other brothers. They were indignant, they were angry, they were mad, it says, at the two brothers. And Jesus called, he said, calm down, boys. Everyone just calm down. I'm just explaining to you that I'm about to go and die for you and all y'all are bickering about is who's gonna be the boss up there. He said this, he said, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. He says, it shall not be so among you. Who, whoever would be great must be your servant. You wanna be great? You wanna, you wanna have authority in the kingdom to come? That's awesome. I know there's a desire for greatness in each of us, a desire for success, a desire for impact and legacy and meaning in our lives. He's like, that's not bad. I put that inside of you, but just be careful how you go after it. You wanna be great? Awesome. Serve others. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be the servant of all. Even as the son of man, Jesus says of himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, we exist to serve others. We exist not just to serve our own purposes and our own selves, but to say, Lord, how can I leverage everything you've given me to put you first in my life, my time, talent, treasure? 
Yes, you've called me to work. You've called me to build things. You've called me to, called me to be a husband, a wife, a parent. You've called me to be involved in this community, to, to, to be a student. Whatever you're called to do in this season, the question is not that you have to go and do something else, but how do you in this place, wherever God may have you, how do you serve your neighbors? How do you think others first? How do you get your eyes off just yourself? And friends, I love that our church, we have so many opportunities to serve others. We have volunteer opportunities all over the place where you can jump in. You can serve um, as a leader on Sunday morning in a kid's room. You can serve in, uh, as a group leader. You can serve on our welcome teams on Sunday morning. You can serve um, in a For the 50 project or a Love the 50 week where we take an entire week an entire week to unleash compassion on the 50 corridor with 50 plus projects. Last year, we had over 600 volunteers unleashing compassion. We partner with ministries like Fellowship of Israel Related Ministries Firm, which is reaching the lost in the Middle East. We have launched a partnership with Compassion International this year where we sponsored nearly 400 kids and launched a child development center in Brazil. You guys sponsored so many kids that our church is gonna be giving $138,000 a year straight to children who are hearing about the gospel, receiving healthcare, receiving education in Brazil. Unbelievable, right? We wanna be known as those who serve others. We gave $55,000 this year as a church to the relief efforts in Ukraine through Word of Life Church and through Convoy of Hope. Yes, we want to be a church that is known for serving. But friends, we also want to live this out in every area of our life. And the goal here, the goal here is not just so you think, man, I got to do more stuff. I got to serve more. Yes, that's a good start. But the goal here, honestly, is to say, friends, a life that is actually not built for the good of others is an unstable life. This is for your good. This is who you were made to be. Not self-centered, but self-sacrificing. And if you wanna build a life that withstands the storms and the trials that you're gonna face, then friends, you have to live a life that is centered around encountering Jesus, a gospel-centered life, growing into who God has called you to be, not being tossed around like a child with every wind and wave that comes your way. You have to get into community, be joined to the body of Christ, and you have to live a life that is focused just like Jesus on serving others. Those pillars will not be shaken when everything else around you is shaken. You will end up building not just a church that stands through everything, but people and lives that stand through everything. I'll close with this, and the keys can come out for this moment. Um, I love Jenga. And Jenga just got better when it got giant, right? Because then you could take it to a tailgate, and now it's even better. Giant Jenga. Um, sometimes I like to think about... <laughs> You know, who, th who thought of these games? I'd, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in the game creation room, wherever that is, where people are just doodling around or coming up with ideas and thoughts of, man, what would be a fun game that people would play together for generations, like a timeless game? And I imagine this room has all sorts of like trinkets and blocks and little things and, you know, toys and ideas where creatives get around and try to come up with games that we're all gonna play forever. 
And I imagine, you know, they're sitting in this room and maybe there's some rectangular blocks around in the room and someone's like, huh, what, what if we just built a tower out of rectangular blocks, three by three? And the goal of the game, okay, this will be fun. I think people will get into this, right? The goal of the game will be to kind of feel around on the tower because when you have three blocks wide, it kind of creates this crazy dynamic where one of them is just loose and it's easy to pull out. And, and maybe as you keep going, you know, the goal of the game is to see, okay, how many, oh, there's a loose one, how many blocks can I pull out before the tower falls over? And maybe the winner of the game, right? The winner of this Jenga game here is, uh, is the one, ooh, let's go for a risky one. Y'all pray for me. Maybe the winner of the, oh, this could be a wrong, so it's my, maybe I'll come back, uh, I'll come back to this one. Um, oh, geez. The winner of the, the game uh, is the one who, who doesn't make the tower fall, right? And then someone goes, whoa, what if we take it up a level? What if it's not just removing, you know, the blocks? Um, what if it's not just removing the blocks, but it's also adding them back to the top? So not only is the foundation getting weaker, but the top is getting heavier at the same time. So if you pull it out and the tower doesn't fall, well, it's not over yet. You've got to balance it back on top. World-changing game. Jenga created. And I thought, man, what a, what a parable for life. I mean, how, how many of us have experienced a phone call, a moment, a diagnosis, uh, the, the, the breakdown of a relationship, a marriage, have experienced a, a child, a son or a daughter going off the rails. We thought, please come back. This is out of our control. How many of us have faced some storm, a personal storm, an addiction, a trial, or even the sin of others against us? How many of us have faced something where we thought, man, this is gonna take me out? <laughs> this one could ruin me. And it's not like when the storm passes or when it's over or when it's happening that the block is just taken away. Now we're carrying the weight of it on our shoulders. Now the weight of it's on our soul. It doesn't just go away. It just makes life a little more unstable and then it gets added to the top. And, you know, more things happen because, you know, let's just be real. Life is hard. And life is heavy and trials come and suffering happen. Oh, that one's a good one. Suffering happens and there's so many times in people's lives where if we're being real, if we're being honest, there are moments when we think, man, I'm not gonna make it through this one. There are moments when we think, yep, this one's gonna destroy me. It's gonna take out my family. It's gonna take out my faith. I'm not coming back from this. And it's in these moments and these trials where we see what is the foundation of our life built on. And friends, here's the truth. Here's the craziest part, right? If our foundation is built on Christ, then even, y'all didn't know I was a magician even 
even when it's all taken out, even when everything feels like it's falling apart, it stands. And people look at your life and they say, man, that storm was massive. That, that should have taken you out. That was like a hurricane that came through. It ripped off the shutters and the blinds. It knocked in your windows. It knocked out your doors. It ripped the deck off the back of your house. And man, it took it down to the studs, but you're still standing. How? How are you still standing? How are you in the midst of this moment saying, blessed be the name of the Lord? And you can respond, well, because it's on Christ's solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And I know that even though things feel unsteady, unstable, life feels crazy and heavy, I'm gonna make it because my life is built on Jesus. I, I've got community around me that's gonna help me through this season. I've been leaning towards him and growing into him so I'm not tossed around by the waves. I am secure. No matter what, I am secure in Christ because the pillars of my life are built strong, built on Him. I feel like I should put a block under that so y'all quit looking at it. Yeah. <laughs> Just gonna let that sit there for a minute. You know, the way Billy Graham ended his speech at this event in Charlotte after he told the Albert Einstein story where Einstein said, I know who I am, I just don't know where I'm going. Billy Graham continued and he said, look at the suit I'm wearing today. I know you told me that today was a casual affair, that I didn't need to worry about dressing up, but this is a brand new suit. You see, my children and my grandchildren are telling me that I've gotten sloppy in my old age. I used to be a little more picky. So I went out and I bought a new suit for this lunch and perhaps for another occasion. Do you know what that occasion is? He asked the crowd. This is the suit in which I'm going to be buried. Picked it out for that. But when you hear that I have died, no matter where you are in the world, when you hear that Billy Graham has died, I don't want you to remember what I'm wearing. Do not think about this suit, he said. I want you to remember this. Not only do I know who I am, but I know where I am going. And he said, life without God is like an unsharpened pencil. It has no point. Friends, there may be some of you in here today Man, you have, you've been living for yourself. There's no thought of God or Christ or eternity. Ultimately, you don't know where you're headed or where you're going. And when the next storm comes, when something rocks your life or everything gets taken away and it feels like your life is built on sinking sand, this will not be standing, it will fall. And let me just say this, friends, so clearly because I believe it is true. When life gets pulled from under your feet, the weight lands on your shoulders. It lands on your shoulders and this is where it's going. Untested faith might not be faith at all. God loves you too much to allow your faith to go untested. He's gonna allow storms to come. He's going to literally bring you to your knees so that you can actually see what your life is built on. 
He's going to allow it to happen just like he did with Job. Because he says, look, the biggest tragedy that could ever happen for your life or for mine is that we spend our lives, this blip of time, this second here on planet earth, building our own kingdom. And we step into eternity only to look back and say it was wasted. I built on the wrong foundation. We're about to head to the lake. We're about to baptize 40 people. Would love for you to come to join us today if you're able. But I wanna close with this and just ask you this question. What's the foundation of your life? What are you living for? What's your house built on? What's your life built on? Have you taken that step of faith? Have you really truly encountered Jesus? And if not, right now is the time. We're gonna pray, we're gonna take communion together and then we're gonna be dismissed. But if that's you, I wanna pray with you right now. There's a card on the seat back in front of you. You can fill out. We would love to give you a Bible. I would just say this. If you take a step of faith today, jump into Rooted. If you've been walking with Jesus for a while, jump into Rooted. That's your next step. Be transformative for you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the gospel. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that builds on the sure foundation of encountering Jesus, experiencing growth, helping people find community and serving others. And right now, Lord, for anybody in this room that has not put their faith in Christ, I ask in Jesus' name that they would take a step right now. And if that's you in this room today, The moment of faith is simple, but it's life-changing. It's just a moment where in your heart you say, Jesus, I believe you died on a cross for my sins. Jesus, I believe you paid the price for my sins. Lord, tell him I believe you rose again from the dead so that I could have new life. And right now I put my trust, my faith in you for my own salvation. Let the Holy Spirit, let the love of God just wash over your life. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.